All right, so like I was saying, uh, tonight we're going to be engaging in, in the beginning of our uh, study this quarter, and uh, we're going to be studying, as the screen suggests, the letter of Hebrews. Uh, the letter of Hebrews, and as uh, Neil Lightfoot once said, uh, this is a renowned biblical scholar, uh, Neil Lightfoot once said about the book of Hebrews, of all the precious writings that speak of the Christian faith, it is doubtful, if any, makes a more distinctive contribution than the epistle to the Hebrews. And that's in his book, Jesus Christ Today. This quarter, we're going to be engaged in an in-depth Bible study of one of, if not the greatest, New Testament books, in my opinion, the book of Hebrews. A while back, Todd, our elder over education here at Buford, he contacted me, called me, and asked uh, if I'd be willing to teach the adult Bible class after the summer series was over. And of course, I said I'd, I'd definitely be willing to do that, and I would love to do that, and so then he said, well, what, what, what do you think you'd teach on? What would you like to teach on? And so we started talking about that a little bit. And I told him I needed some, a few days to, to pray about it, to think about it, and uh, that I'd get back with him. But it didn't take really long uh, to realize that Hebrews was exactly the study that I think we should be engaged in right now. And in fact, uh, after I made that decision, our youth group on Sunday mornings they're going to be studying the book of Hebrews. The, the last to leaders this year theme is on the book of Hebrews. So I guess we're all just going to be learning about Hebrews together. And I think that's a great thing for all of us here at Buford. So I, I told him there was definitely a study I wanted to do, and it was Hebrews. And he thought that was a great idea. Uh, I don't want to do Hebrews because I've done it before. I, I don't have a Hebrews series in my back pocket uh, I haven't been doing uh, ministry too long, um, like some of the people here tonight and some of the people uh, like Kyle and, and others. So I don't have this in my back pocket, but I definitely have a lot of resources at my disposal. And so I've been looking forward to this study. Uh, I don't have a perfect grasp on the book. Don't uh, mistake that at all. Uh, but I, do, I did want to do this study for two reasons. Uh, number one, I knew that it was going to be a study that was personally challenging to me. That it would challenge me as much as it would challenge each of you. This is a very challenging book. Some people don't understand the book of Hebrews because of all of the things that are in it. And so I knew it would be challenging, first of all. And second of all, I knew that it was going to allow us all to see the power that our God has. The power that our God has all the way through His providence from the Old Testament into the New Testament today. I also knew that it would, it would show us that God is the one who is in control regardless of how chaotic our life may be. Our lives are very chaotic right now, aren't they? And they have been for such a time. But this, this series of lessons hopefully will show us that God is in control. He always has been and He always will be and I wanted us each night this quarter to be encouraged by that fact. Encouraged as we leave this building or if you're at home as you leave your screens to know that God is in control of our life. I want us to be uplifted. I want us to be encouraged. 
I want us all to, to have that attitude as we leave these studies each week. And then most importantly, I want us to all grow in our relationship with God as we learn about His will for our life. And with that, we really do need to get started with talking about the book, about the book itself. Uh, we're going to begin by talking about the purpose, the purpose of Hebrews. When you look at the book of Hebrews, uh, unless you've never seen it before, you, you know that there are 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews. And each one of these chapters, almost each one of them, is going to take an element of the Old Testament, the old law, and it's going to put it directly beside what its New Testament counterpart is. And it's going to compare what we had in the law of Moses to what we have in the law of Christ. And here at Buford, I know we have a lot of readers, a lot of people who love to read, a lot of people... Uh, uh, John Beer uh, is a security guard for the Sunflower Preschool, and he's always reading some book. I mean, the guy never stops reading. I know we got a lot of readers at Buford, and if you're looking for a supplemental uh, a commentary or something you could read uh, to help you in this study in the book of Hebrews, the greatest commentary, the greatest supplemental reading that you could possibly have is just the Old Testament. The Old Testament is going to provide you the greatest commentary possible on the book of Hebrews because if we didn't have the Old Testament, none of what Hebrews talks about makes any sense at all. So when we look at uh, this study this, this quarter, we're going to have to understand that a lot of it is from the Old Testament. We're going to have to see what the Old Testament is talking about to understand what the Hebrew writer is saying in the New Testament. So... We're going to have to consult the Old Testament a lot to get some context. And I think that's where a lot of people just, I'm out. I don't, I don't really want to engage in that kind of depth of study. I don't want to really, uh, you know, let my mind go that deep. It's, it's tiresome sometimes, and it's flip-flopping all the way back and forth, the, the writer of Hebrews is. But hopefully, throughout this study, we can get through it together, and we can learn a lot not only about this New Testament book, but about some of the things in the Old Testament that we may have forgotten or may not have known ever. Because without the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews makes no sense. The book of Hebrews is useless. It's meaningless without understanding the Old Testament. That's how important the Old Testament is even to this day. And perhaps that's why Paul would say, in Romans 15 verse 4, he says, for whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And also he says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Again, that's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. So we have to understand that the Old Testament is not only important for the study of Hebrews, but it's important for the study of, of, of the overall Christian. And so often, so many of our curriculums, so many of our studies are so focused on the New Testament, and I think there's a good reason for that. That's our covenant, right? It makes sense that we study and spend so much time devoted to New Testament things because we are New Testament Christians. 
But sometimes it is very important for us to look at the Old Testament because without it, we would not have this tutor, this, this, this guardian, this, this tutor that brought us to Christ. That's why we should look to the Old Testament, and that's why we're going to do so this quarter. This study, we're going to have to consult the Old Testament to provide this context and to have a better understanding of what the Hebrews author is trying to convey. You know, if you've been tuning in, let's see if this will change screen. If you've been tuning in to our Ministers of the Roundtable study, uh, you'll know that, uh, and this is our new logo, uh, the great James Lester Hall worked on that, and uh, we're excited to, to have a name for it finally. Uh, but if you've been tuning in on Sunday nights to our Ministers of the Roundtable, uh, we've been covering specific books sometimes and sometimes not. But when we cover specific books, if you'll remember, we always make sure when we cover Titus or when we cover James that each study we talked about the purpose that the author had of why that book was written. Why was this written? Why was it written in the first place? Because if we don't understand why it's written, we won't understand what's happening as the, as the study goes along or as any study goes along. So we have to understand the purpose of why Hebrews was written in the first place. Because everything that's going to come in our study tonight, everything that's going to come in our study seven, six, eight, nine weeks from now, is all going to be tied to this initial purpose that the Hebrews writer had in mind. Usually we can find a specific verse or an individual verse to sort of encompass the purpose of the epistle. Uh, but with our study in the book of Hebrews, I really didn't think it was necessary to find one verse because really the entirety of the book provides the purpose of the book of Hebrews. From the first verse, the first few sentences in chapter 1 all the way to the last sentences in chapter 13, there is one consistent overall theme that the Hebrews writer is trying to get across. And that is, as the title of this uh, study indicates, we're talking, the title of this study is Hebrews, the better letter. The better letter. So this is a paragraph I wrote. It's not uh, good, but uh, hopefully it'll do the job to let us understand what the purpose of the book of Hebrews is. It says, Hebrews is the letter of better. The author continually attempts to compare what God offered in the law of Moses to what he now offers in the law of Christ. And after each point, the writer leaves no doubt that there is no comparison to be made. The law of Christ is better. This letter provides the most encouraging, uplifting, and inspiring message for readers today. God's sovereignty, providence, and power is displayed throughout the epistle. Hebrews is a beneficial study in the midst of our current trials because we can see God has a plan and is the one who is ultimately in control. In this quarter, we're going to investigate how God has, in these last days, spoken to us by His Son, Hebrews 1 and verse 2. So this quarter, we're going to be realizing, maybe remembering, how great it is to be a Christian. 
how great it is to be a follower of Christ. How amazing it is. How blessed we are to be under the law that we have been given. You know, sometimes I think we forget how great it is to be a Christian. Sometimes I think we don't realize and we tend to let it dull on our hearts and minds how great and how blessed we are to be followers of Christ. Sometimes we start to think about all the things that we can't do as a Christian, right? Sometimes we start to think about all the things that we might be missing out on because we are Christians. And sometimes we think about how hard it is to be a Christian and we forget how well off we really have it. Well, this study, this quarter, I'm going to try to help all of us, and myself included, understand and remember and realize, maybe for the first time, just how great it is to be a Christian. That's a message that we don't really talk about as much because it's, well, duh, duh, it's good to be a Christian. Why are we here? We wouldn't be here if we didn't think it was good to be a Christian. Well, some people need to realize, yet again, it's good to be a Christian. And the book of Hebrews tells us why. You know, I'm reminded of the song my mom used to sing. It didn't matter where we were or what we were doing. She was always singing some song or whistling some song. And one of the songs she would sing is, Isn't it grand to be a Christian? Well, she didn't say isn't it. She said isn't it. Isn't it grand to be a Christian? Isn't it grand? Right? And we would just go along our way and she would sing that song and it's stuck in my head and we need to think that way. As we go through our daily life, isn't it grand to be a Christian? Isn't it grand? The study of Hebrews is going to make us feel that each and every night, I hope. Um, so, just to sort of whet your appetite, by the way, I thought that was W-E-T, appetite, my whole life. The phrase, whet your appetite, is W-H-E-T. Couldn't believe it. Blew my mind today. And so that's what I learned today. To whet your appetite of where we're going to be going in this study, on the screen we can see all the different better thans that we're about to study. All the different better thans that the book of Hebrews is going to talk about. Next week we're going to talk about how Jesus is better than the angels. Week after that, Jesus is better than Moses, better than the rest that Joshua provided through Canaan. He's better than the high priesthood itself in chapters 5 and chapter 7. He provides a better hope. He provides a better covenant, a better sanctuary, a better sacrifice, a better faithfulness, a better discipline, a better foundation for the Christian. And so as we look at this study, we're going to have to understand that not only are we going to be looking at how Christ is better, how His covenant is better, but how we need to become better. How we need to be better. How we need to challenge ourselves to be better because Christ is better. And to me, as you look at this list of things and as you understand more fully who Christ is, who the Son of God is, who the Messiah is, there is no greater study that we could be engaged in, in my opinion, 
that could confirm our faith in Christ and our faith in the church than the study of the book of Hebrews. Now that we know what we're going to be studying, why we are studying, the purpose of it, and we've studied uh, where we're going, we need to discuss the greatest question when it comes to the book of Hebrews. The greatest question among scholarship and biblical criticism, without a doubt, if you were to ask any biblical scholar, what is the most difficult thing about the book of Hebrews? Well, it would obviously be who produced it. I would have written author, but it didn't start with a P. The first point was we talked about the purpose. The second point is we're going to talk about the producer. Who produced this work? Who is the author of Hebrews? Who wrote the epistle? You know, I'm here to tell you tonight of all the questions in the New Testament that you could ask. Of all the questions that you could ask a a biblical scholar or, or Jesus one day when we're with him, You know, some might ask, what's the deal with Mark 16, right? Well, I mean, why is all these verses not in some Bibles and and there's this, you know, there's this thing going on? Well, some might ask, what's the deal with with the woman caught in adultery? You know, was that that really supposed to be there or was it supposed to be another place? The greatest question in my mind when it comes to New Testament studies is, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Who wrote it? Because the most talked about and heavily contested discussion in biblical criticism sometimes for some people, for some groups, is the authorship of Hebrews. And I think the reason that is is because there are so many wonderful things about the book of Hebrews. It is such an encouraging book. It is such a challenging book. It is so well written. It is so applicable. It is so professional that we want to attribute it to someone, right? We feel the need to attribute this to someone. Someone needs the credit for this great book. I mean, when it comes to the New Testament, my favorite books are probably Acts, Romans, and Hebrews. It's one of the top three, really. So somebody has to get credit. Someone has to be credited with this great work, and I think that's why there is so much discussion about the authorship of Hebrews. Because there are other books that we're not so sure about who wrote it in the Old Testament. There are other books that aren't heavily contested. Well, this one's so heavily contested because of how great, how obviously amazing it is that we want to attribute it to someone. And before we even launch into the discussion of authorship, I don't want to bore you with too uh, scholarly of information. I, I, I don't want to lose you tonight. I don't want you to think, uh, well, I don't understand the things coming out of his mouth. I hope that's not what you get out of the, stu- out of the discussion we're about to get. I try to make things uh, pretty easy to understand because that's how I have to get it to understand um, sometimes. So we can't, e- even though I don't want to bore any of you, I don't think it's right for us to launch into a study on the book of Hebrews without discussing the most heavily contested, heavily debated thing about the book itself, right? It wouldn't make sense for us to talk about Hebrews if we weren't willing to even look or talk about the most heavily debated aspect of the book we're going to be studying. So tonight, 
at the Buford Church of Christ, we are going to establish the author of Hebrews. The debated question for thousands of years. We're going to figure it out tonight, right? No. No, we're not going to figure it out tonight. We're not going to understand, have a full grasp of who wrote this book tonight. We're not going to figure it out on September 2nd, 2020. Well, that would, that would go wrong with 2020, right? It would be the craziest thing ever, right? We're not going to figure it out tonight, but we do need to understand the different options out there, the different uh, opinions out there, the different hypotheses that are out there about the authorship of this book. And when we look into these types of things, when we launch into these types of studies, we have to understand that we have to look at these two things. We have to look at the external evidence as well as the internal evidence. The external evidence, if you're wondering what that is, if you haven't ever engaged in this depth of study before, external evidence is the evidence that we can find outside of the book. Outside of the book of Hebrews itself, what does all of scholarship say about the authorship of Hebrews? That's external evidence. This is what the early church thought. How, how did the early church accept this book? What did they think of this book? This is also a conversation of what the church fathers, the patristic writers, what they believed this book was, and also secular historians and what they said about it. That's the external evidence, if you're wanting to know. The internal evidence, anybody got a guess? It's what's found inside the book itself, right? Inside the book is the internal evidence that we can look to, you know, to understand who wrote this book or have a better idea about it. This is going to be a, a deeper study for, for some in scholarship about the language, the, the, the certain language used, the linguistic structure that is used and employed throughout the book. And sometimes the thematic things, the, the parallels between other books can help us understand this internal evidence. Uh, maybe did they put their name on it, right? Well, if they put their name on it, it makes a lot of sense to think, well, that's who wrote it. So we've got to investigate the external evidence and the internal evidence. And with that, the most traditional view of the author of Hebrews is to say that Paul wrote it. That the great apostle Paul wrote it. I mean, why wouldn't he have written it? When we look at the, 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 the New Testament as a whole, we understand that Paul wrote, even if you don't count Hebrews, 48% of the New Testament books. Paul is personally responsible for 48% of the New Testament books. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Paul had to have written the book of Hebrews. On top of that, it sounds a lot like Paul in some places. There are some thematic parallels so why don't we just chalk it up, etch it in stone, it was Paul. Well, it's just not that easy. It's not that easy to just simply say, well, he wrote, <laughs> he wrote almost half of it, he might as well have written this one. But that's what some in the early church, that's what some in the patristic writers, that's what some even today in the church tend to say is, well, it had to have been Paul. But it's just not 
that easy. And I'm going to tell you why. But first, let's talk about why it makes sense for it to have been Paul. Here is the external evidence in favor for Pauline authorship. The first one is this guy called Pantanes, something like that. He was the first president of the biblical school in Alexandria, and he contested that it was Paul. And in this slide here, we're going to see a little bit of an evolution, so to speak, between these three men, Pantanes, Clement of Alexandria, and Origen, as to how it got different and different as the years went on. So Pantanaeus, this guy who was the first president of the school in Alexandria, he believed that it was Paul. No doubt about it, no questions about it, it is Paul. All right. So the second external evidence is found in a manuscript called P46. P46 is this group of manuscripts that we have some of the earliest manuscripts of all, any, any found material we have is P46. And P46 is a group of Pauline epistles. And guess what's inside of that group of manuscripts? Hebrews. So somehow, some way, in early 200 is when P46 was found, or when it was originally written, Somehow, some way, Hebrews was put inside of this group of different manuscripts of other Paul writings. So why wouldn't it have been Paul? If all the other things in P46 are Pauline, well, that makes sense that Hebrews is too, right? All right, and so then you have this guy named Clement of Alexandria. Guess who this is? This is the student of Pantanaeus. So when Pantanaeus retired or died, guess who became president? This guy named Clement of Alexandria. And so Clement of Alexandria, when he was asked about the book of Hebrews, or when he was writing about it, he, he contended that Paul was the one who originally wrote the book. He wrote the book in Hebrew to a group of Jewish people, and then it was translated from that Hebrew by Luke into Greek for a Gentile audience. Do you see this slow evolution away from Paul there? His, his, his predecessor, his mentor said, Paul, that's it, that's the end of the story. And then here comes Clement of Alexandria and he says, well, actually, Paul wrote the book originally in Hebrew and then this guy Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he translated it into uh, Greek from the Hebrew for a Gentile audience. You see that slow move away from Paul there. And then lastly, we have Origen. Guess who Origen was? Origen was the student of Clement of Alexandria. So here you see, yet again, another, when Clement of Alexandria retired or died, Origen became the president at that school, and he taught that when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the only things that are Paul's are the thoughts. The thoughts, the thematic things that the book talks about, that's from Paul. But when it comes to who wrote it, that was either Luke or this guy named Clement of Rome. That's what Origen said about the book of Hebrews. So that's the external evidence in favor for Pauline writing. Here's the internal evidence 
in favor. So we have the closing remarks in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18. If you want to go over there, you can compare that to Acts chapter 23 and verse 1 and how easily uh, close it is to what is written in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18. This is how Paul would close out many of his works and that comment he makes in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18 compares well to that. And that's just one of the diff different similarities that the book of Hebrews has. Uh, there's many content uh, items that are very similar between the works of Paul and the works of Hebrews. The comments about Christ in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. You can look over at Colossians chapter 1 and see that those are very similar. When it comes to the different covenants, the law of Moses and the law of Christ, you can look at the similarities between these two verses, Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8. And you compare it to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's very similar. And then lastly, the comments that the Hebrews writer makes about faith, especially when it comes to Abraham's faith, right? We know that Paul talked a lot about Abraham's faith in Galatians 3 and Romans chapter 4. So here's the internal evidence in favor for Paul. So now we've investigated the external and the internal, so let's just call it. It was Paul, right? Uh-oh. Well, there has to be something more to the story, right? Because why would we even contest it if it's so obvious? I'm trying to progress this slide, Kevin, and I can't. You'd help me. Can you press next? Oh, there we go. Here is the external evidence opposing Pauline authorship. First of all, we have these church fathers. These are the guys who came after Origen, who lived some, some of them lived in the same time of Origen, and these other guys who were for Pauline authorship, and some of them are after. But a guy named Irenaeus said that it wasn't Paul. I don't know if he provided a better option, but I think he just said it wasn't Paul, I'll tell you that much. Tertullian is another one that we can look at when it comes to patristic fathers, and Eusebius is another one that we can look at that says this is just not Paul. And then lastly, against, when it comes to externally, is the Muratorian Canon. This is an early collection of New Testament books that excludes Hebrews altogether. So that's against Paul. You know, why would they exclude it if it was from Paul? Well, if it was from Paul, it had to be in the canon, right? It had to be in the list. Well, here's something against that fact. And we're going to talk about uh, if it should have been excluded or not a little bit later. Here is some internal evidence opposing Paul. And this is the one that is a lot more strong, in my opinion, about the Pauline authorship. First of all, we have anonymity, an something like that, anonymity, right? Sound like finding Nemo up here. It was written anonymously. That's just not something Paul did. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21, he, he says, See with what great uh, writing I use? Paul let his audience know, This is from me. This is from me, Paul. I, you know, he lets them know, I've written this with my own hand. Those three verses say that much. But guess what we find in the book of Hebrews? Nothing. Not even a single inkling. Hey, it's me. It's me, Paul. There's some comments about Timothy. There's some comments that, well, maybe it was Paul. But there's no, hey, it's me. 
See, with what great writing, I, there's none of that. There is no I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, and all the different things he would do in his other epistles. That's a, law, that's a big one of evidence opposing Pauline authorship. Secondly, we have some Greek structure. When we look at Paul's other writings, he wrote in Greek, but it wasn't polished. It wasn't polished and, and, and educated writing like Luke would be or like some other writers of the New Testament were, like Peter and some others. It's not polished, but the book of Hebrews is polished. It's one of the most polished, structurally right books in the entire New Testament. So that goes really against Paul as well. And then lastly, and well, here's another one, Greek word usage. The Hebrews writer is just not using the same words that Paul used in his other writings. In fact, when we look at that, let me, uh, let me see this here, I have it down. I believe there's 164 different words that are used in the book of Hebrews that do not occur in the entire rest of the whole New Testament. 168 words that do not appear anywhere else in the New Testament but in the book of Hebrews. Well, since Paul wrote 48% of the New Testament, not even counting Hebrews, well, doesn't that make sense? That Where's this new vocabulary all of a sudden? Why, why are you using all these different words? And then also, if you want to look directly at the works of Paul, 124 extra words on top of that, 168, I know it's a lot, sorry. 124 words on top of the 120, 168 when it comes to the book of Hebrews do not appear in any of Paul's works. 124 words that are dissimilar from what Paul would write and what whoever the Hebrews writer wrote. So, when we look at this, are we ready to count Paul out? You know, we looked at the external for, the internal for, the external against, the, ex, the internal against. So let's, let's make up our mind. Was it Paul? Well, there must be some better options out there, or this was the option. Right? Who was it? Who wrote the book? What are the other options out there? If Paul didn't write it, who did it? Well, some would have you believe that it was Barnabas. Barnabas, the man in Acts chapter 4 that we find, the man who was responsible for Paul even becoming a, 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 a successful apostle, a successful disciple. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, right? Well, what is the external evidence suggesting it was Barnabas? Well, that's what Tertullian said, one of these patristic writers, this church father. He lived from 160 to 220 A.D. And he believed that it was Barnabas. Guess what other external evidence we have? Nothing. All right? So here's the internal evidence in favor for Barnabas. And there is a couple here. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, we find that he was a Levite. Well, what would that mean? That means he would have an understanding of the priesthood, right? If he was a Levite, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 says that he was a Levite. His name is Son of Encouragement. That's the second point right there. What is the whole goal of the purpose of Hebrews, right? It is to encourage. It is to encourage a, a Jewish audience to know that they've made the right decision. 
in becoming a Christian. You've chosen the better covenant, the better person to follow, a better all the things we've talked about. So there is the internal evidence in favor for Barnabas writing it. Well, what's the problem here? What's the negative? It sounds great. You know, it, it, it sounds like a good idea there, Tertullian. But there is not a single other church father who would contend it was Barnabas. There is not another uh, work that we have of Barnabas that we can compare it to. To see this language style, this, this stylistic thing, this thematic thing we're trying to find as we look at these books. So there's the negative on Barnabas. Well, if it wasn't Barnabas, then it had to be Luke, right? Was it Luke? Well, if it was Luke, here's the external evidence suggesting it may have been Luke, and that's Origen, right? Origen was the one who said that uh, Luke was the one who wrote it, and he got all of his thoughts from Paul. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because who was with Paul in the book of Acts? Well, that would be Luke. Who wrote the book of Acts? That was Luke. So we have a lot of evidence suggesting when it comes to uh, this internal evidence for Lucan, is what the word is, Lucan authorship, is that he knew Paul and Timothy. He knew them well. He went on missionary journeys with them. And there are also major similarities in the language uses and the stylistic structure between Luke and Acts and Hebrews and all the polished Greek and all the things we've talked about. So there's a lot of internal evidence in favor for Luke to have written the book. Well, let's give it up to Luke, right? It was Luke. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, only one external evidence suggests that it was Luke, and that's origin. So there's a lot of, of, of problems we have with saying that it was Luke. I think it's a better option than Barnabas. I think it's a better option than some of the ones coming. But nonetheless, there's an option for you. Maybe it was Luke. And then here's one that's going to confuse a lot, is Clement of Rome. Who is this guy named Clement? Clement of Rome lived before A.D. 100, and he was involved, heavily involved in the church at that time. And in fact, he wrote a book to the Corinthians. It's a non-inspired book. It's a non-canonical book. But guess what that book has? Well, Origen was the one who suggested it was either Luke or Clement of Rome, right? So here's the internal evidence. There's major similarities in the language use in this non-canonical book that Clement wrote to the Corinthians. There's a lot of similarities between that and what we find in the book of Hebrews. So maybe it was Clement of Rome. Well, what's another option? Here's one. What if it was Apollos? We all know who Apollos was, right? What is the external evidence supporting or in favor of Apollos? Well, guess who it was? Martin Luther was the one who popularized the idea that Apollos was the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. And guess when he popularized that idea? The 16th century. Is that early attestation? Is that early, uh, is that among the church fathers, the patristic writers? No. Someone 16 centuries later is like, it was Apollos. So that's not really good support. That's not really good evidence that we find externally. But guess what we find internally? We find some pretty good evidence. 
Some pretty good evidence is the fact that he was an Alexandrian Jew. He was closely associated with Paul, obviously. He knew Timothy, obviously. And guess what we find about him? We find out about uh, Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Sorry, I didn't write it up there for you. Acts chapter 18, and verse 24 through 28, we find all about Apollos. And guess what he was? He was an eloquent speaker. He also had a good knowledge of the Old Testament. He had to be corrected a little bit by Aquila Priscilla, right? But he was a great speaker. He was a great, uh, eloquent man, it says. And what do we know about the book of Hebrews? It's very eloquent. It's, it's, it's so well written. It, it, it so perfectly compares and juxtaposes uh, the old law and the new law, and, and, and that goes perfectly in line with maybe who Apollos was. But what's the problem? There, there's, there's the weakest external evidence for that one of all. So what are we to conclude about the producer, the author of the book of Hebrews? Well, some would say it's none of these. It's Silas. Some scholars contend it was Priscilla. Well, that's a head-scratcher, isn't it? Well, what they say about that is... Maybe that's why she wrote it anonymously. Maybe that's why in Hebrews 11 she mentions all the women of faith. Well, that's what they would contend, right? Some would say Silas because he knew Paul and Timothy, and that's about it. And there's other options out there for who everybody has an opinion on, the producer, the author of the book. But what do we know about the author from reading the book itself? We know that they knew their audience. We know that they knew them. The audience knew the writer. And we know that they knew Timothy, according to verse 23 of chapter 13. We know that they were probably most likely Jewish because of their knowledge, right? And I think that's about it. What's the conclusion of the producer of the book of Hebrews? Who, who did it? Well, the authorship may be disputed, but guess what is never disputed? The inspiration of the book. The inspiration of the book, the fact that this is a canonical and inspired work, is obvious. No one could have ever in that day compared side by side the old law to the new law so perfectly other than the Holy Spirit. And all the references that are used, the, the, the inspiration was never in question. It was simply just the author. In fact... The book of Hebrews was accepted from the jump, from the very, very beginning, by those who were in the Eastern Church. Those who were in the East of the Church accepted it. They accepted that it was Paul. But those in the Western Church did not accept that it was Pauline until the 4th century, as my studies say. Even though they didn't believe it was Paul, they never questioned the inspiration of the book. So to conclude the conversation of the producer, I think Origen said it best. He had some ideas. He said it might have been Luke, it might have been Clement of Rome, but guess what he ended up, he concluded with saying, when it comes to the book of Hebrews, only God knows who wrote that book. And that's not a flippant use. He was being serious. Only the Lord knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. 
And, and there are so many people who have just figured it out and they're right, they're, they know that they're right, right? Well, that's just not right. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. My question is, does it matter? Does the producer of Hebrews matter? Well, at some length, maybe yes. But if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, does it matter? No. It doesn't matter if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit because every book was authored by the Holy Spirit. Every canonical, every inspired book was written by the same part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. You know, the same Spirit that inspired Peter, guess what that Spirit did? It inspired Paul. The same Spirit that inspired Paul inspired whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. And I think that's really the beauty of the book of Hebrews, in my opinion, is that it is an anonymous letter. Well, why has that been? Why do you think it's beautiful that the, the book of Hebrews is anonymous? Well, that's because it takes all the focus off, well, it was intended to have, take all the focus off of who wrote it, and put the focus on what it's about. What the book is about. It puts all the focus on Christ from the very beginning of the book. A British scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, once said, In the presence of the Son, what does it matter who points the way to Him? The witness bearer does not desire to be known. He bids us listen to Jesus and then retires to the background. I think that's what the writer of the book of Hebrews does. He shows us Jesus. He bears this testimony. He bears this witness of Jesus. He bids us listen to it. And then he steps out of the back. He steps out. He retires to the background so that we can solely focus on the content itself. You know, perhaps the writer, the author of Hebrews, really didn't want it to be about him. He didn't want it to be about his story, about his background, about his authority. To the writer of the book of Hebrews, it, it was about Christ's authority. It, it, it was about Christ's background. It was about Christ's story and not his own. To conclude our study, we have a third P. We have the prophets, and that's what we're going to find in verses 1 through 3 as we begin our study of the book of Hebrews. So we've talked about the, perfect, the purpose, we've talked about uh, the producer, and now we're going to talk about how Jesus is better than the prophets. We're, he we're here in verses 1 through 3, we're going to find the first Jesus is better than clause, and a long series of clauses we're going to study throughout the rest of this study. And that's found in verses 1 through 3. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being in the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a powerful verse. By the way, that's only one sentence. 
What a powerful thought that the, the writer of Hebrews begins his book, his epistle with. And I think he is laying the groundwork for what will be the entire theme of the book. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than. As we see at the bottom right corner, this title of this class is Hebrews, the better letter. So the first better than, greater than, superior to that we're going to find in the book of Hebrews is in these first three verses when the author points out that Jesus is better than the prophets. What is he trying to say? Well, we know that the prophets of the Old Testament, we know that they were the people who talked to God, who talked for God, who heard directly from God. In fact, if the people needed to know what God's will was, they went to the prophet, right? They went to the prophet for them, for, for them to tell them what God's will was, what God wanted them to know. If they needed to communicate a message to God, who did they go to? They went to the prophet. And they often would talk to God on their behalf. So here we see in this verse, in the former days, God spoke to who? God spoke to the prophets in the former days. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So we understand that the prophets, these, these, these former uh, communicators for God in days of old, when they received a message from God, what did they say? They went back to the people and said, Thus, thus saith the Lord, right? And then there's the message from God. So that's what was going on in the Old Testament, in the old days. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. And my question is, why is Jesus greater than, better than the prophets? Why? Why is Jesus better than the prophets? What are you trying to say, writer of Hebrews? Well, Jesus is obviously better than the prophets, and here's why. Here's just a few answers. They're simple. How about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Who were the prophets? They were mere men that God chose. They were mere men that had flaws, that had uh, failures, that had shortcomings. And who is Jesus? He's the author of our faith. Hebrews writer is going to say in Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus is the Son of God, not just a mere man. He was a man, but He was also deity. He was also God in the flesh. Here's another reason why Jesus is greater than the prophets. Guess how many Jesuses there are? Guess how many Messiahs there are? There's only one. Guess how many prophets there were? Dozens, right? Dozens of prophets throughout the Old Testament. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Messiah. Guess what another reason is? Jesus is better than, greater than the prophets. Well, He's better than because guess what His connection to God is? His connection to God is a father and a son. His connection to God is not separated by sin. His connection to God is 24-7, undoubtedly, totally connected to God. Guess what the connection the prophets had? Well, there was sin in the way. There was a barrier between them and God. 
Guess what else? Their, their connection to God was often sporadic. They would hear from Him sometimes and not hear from Him in others. But we know Jesus, as the prophet, was never disconnected from, from God. And here's the final reason that Jesus is greater than the prophets. is because what is Jesus' message? It's complete. The message of Jesus is finalized. It is complete. It is perfected. It was completed while He was here on this earth. Guess what the message of the prophets were? It was constantly changing, constantly uh, incomplete. And they were simply speaking on things that sometimes they had no idea what they were talking about. You think Daniel understood what he was talking about when he was prophesying about all the different kingdoms that were to come? Do you think he would understand exactly what was going to happen and what those different beasts represent? No. Because he was speaking on behalf of God who is infinite and he is finite. Well, guess what Jesus is? He's infinite up there with God. So, of course, he is greater than the prophets. But why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal for Jesus to be better than the prophets? Of course Jesus is better than the prophets, Ben. Why does this matter to me? Why did this even matter to the original audience of Hebrews? Well, we have to understand that the original letter of Hebrews was probably written to a Jewish audience, right? A Jewish audience who perhaps maybe even resided in Jerusalem. These Christians, or soon-to-be Christians, were probably questioning all their faith. They had just made this decision to become a Christian, to leave all the different traditions that they had in the old law, to leave the Old Testament behind, to leave Moses behind, and to choose Christ. And guess what they were getting in return? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4 said that they were having a lot of bloodshed, a lot of persecution, a lot of hard times. Some of them were probably questioning their faith, questioning if they made the right decision. Did I, should, should I really have left the old law? Should I really have made that decision? And the writer of Hebrews, chapter by chapter, is going to confirm the fact, hey, you made the right choice because Jesus is better than the covenant that Jesus offers is better than. The sacrifice that Jesus offers is better than. The, the sanctuary that we have is better and, and the list goes on and on. That's why this first one matters, because what were the prophets? The prophets were the communicators of God of the Old Testament. They were the mouthpiece of God. And guess what they did? If you count the 39 books of the Old Testament, guess how many of them are prophetic books? 40% of the Old Testament is prophetic books. 40%. That's a big chunk, isn't it? And so you're telling to a Jewish audience, hey, you know that 40% of your Old Testament? Jesus is better than all of them. Not a single one compares even remotely to Jesus. What the Hebrews writer is saying, that Jesus is superior to every prophet who went before him. Isaiah is nothing compared to Jesus. Jeremiah is nothing compared to Jesus. Ezekiel is nothing compared to Jesus. Daniel, Samuel, and the list goes on and on. None of these men can even compete or worthy to be compared 
to Jesus Christ. That's what the Hebrews writer is trying to say right here at the front. At the get-go, at the jump, he's trying to let them know Jesus Christ is better than. Because the Hebrews writer understood how well-read these readers were. They read the prophets. They read Isaiah. They read all of the things. You look at the, uh, the gospel accounts, we see how well their knowledge was of the Old Testament and the prophecies. It just so happens that they were a little bit blind to how Jesus fulfilled all of them, right? So that's what the Hebrews writer is trying to do in these first three verses. He's saying Jesus is the one who has been... Let's go back to the verse... Jesus is the one who has been appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the one who, through whom the worlds were made. Jesus is the one who is the express image of God. Jesus is the one who upholds all things and purges our sins. Jesus is the one that has the word of His power. Jesus is the word. Right? That's what He's trying to say right here at the beginning. And tonight... As we close, we've discussed the purpose of the book of Hebrews. We've discussed perhaps who the producer of the book of Hebrews. And lastly, we've discussed how Jesus is greater than and better than any prophet that went before him. We look forward to next week's study as we look at chapters 1, verses 4 through Verses 4 through 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 18, sorry. As we look how Jesus is better than the angels. I appreciate all of your attention tonight. We're not going to have a devotional, but just know that the Lord's invitation is always open. Just let an elder know, let a minister know, and we will pray for you and with you, and we'll help you any way we can. But with that, we're going to ask Brother Stan Quinn to come up and lead us in a closing prayer.